0: who did the unmasking, I'm told, is very well known, very high up, very senior in the intelligence world, and is not in the FBI. This led to other surveillance, which led to multiple names being unmasked. Again, these are people who are private citizens in the United States. This had nothing to do with Russia, I'm told, or foreign intelligence of any kind. I'm not beholden to any political or financial interest. I don't care. I'm here to do a job. I'm doing a job for the American worker.
1: It's time to make America great again. Join the movement. Neil A. Caruso, the Neil A. Caruso Show show, podcast. Podcast. Time to dream big, informative, insightful, and valiant leadership, telling it the way it is to make a difference.
2: All right, Friday, the last day of March, the 31st of March, 2017. Welcome to the Neil A. Crucial Show podcast on this Friday, uh, a rainy Friday here in New York, very uh, dark and dreary Um, And I guess it sets the tone for the fact that we learn new revelations every day. The news just every hour seems to change. So uh, in case your head isn't spinning yet, mine already is. Uh, There's a lot of political news on this Friday. So what I've decided to do is I'm going to make this uh, concise for you. And then we're going to lay out the case on Sunday's program and and show you on the video show, the live streaming show we do on elacurso.com. Sunday is at... Uh, 12 noon Eastern. If you haven't watched the show, this Sunday would be the show to start. Uh, it'll be our seventh uh, Sunday show. And we find out today, and you heard in the intro clip, new revelations, a political motivation for surveillance. So we have updated our story on the website. In case you've, you know, haven't listened to the podcast, we've uh, basically laid out a roadmap on the website of how... The Obama administration surveilled President Trump and connected the dots. So today we find out from uh, Fox News journalist Adam Housley. He reports today, citing sources that are not affiliated with the White House or the Trump team, that the Obama administration um, did surveil uh, and in the incidental collection of surveillance, they unmasked names. That we knew already. But here's the new part with this, and the unmasking, by the way, is a felony punishable of up to 10 years of prison unless it is authorized. It is very rare that American names are released in intelligence reports in incidental collection when an American is on the phone or the subject of a conversation with two foreign nationals. Congressional investigators, I'm quoting Adam Housley, the journalist for Fox News. He says, "quote Congressional investigators knew the name of at least one person who was unmasking names." Um, he says that it is a very well known, very high up, very senior in the intelligence world, and is not in the FBI. So that would rule out James Comey. And this is all in a political effort against Mr. Trump that occurred before. Trump was the Republican nominee. So he was then candidate Trump, and he was a citizen, uh, just a regular, uh, you know, a public figure, but not a politician at that point, not the president of the United States. But regardless, him and his age could have been subjects of intelligence reports and more names, not just Lieutenant General Michael Flynn, and we're going to talk about him a little bit today as well, not just Lieutenant General Michael Flynn, who was unmasked in a, after having a conversation with the Russian ambassador, Sergei Kislyak, a conversation that any preparing national security advisor would have, but his name was released, which puts his life in jeopardy. Now we're finding out that congressional investigators have found out that there are intelligence officers high up, excluding the FBI, so this would be the CIA possibly or the NSA, uh, or who knows, maybe it was the director of national intelligence. I have a hunch of who it may be. I'm not going to say because I don't think that would be appropriate since it's just a assumption of mine that I have a feeling of who it may be. But uh, the journalist here, uh, Adam Housley, says that it is someone very, very high up who would have this classified information. Obviously, there are only very few people who would have this information. James Comey is confirmed that the CIA director under Obama, John Brennan, the director of national intelligence under Obama, James Clapper, the NSA director, Michael Rogers, uh, Comey himself, and the attorney general, Loretta Lynch. Those are the people who would have this type of information. So if it is one of them who possibly unmasked names without authorization— Without any reason to do so, that person can be sent to jail, punishable up to 10 years in prison. And we now know that it was a concerted political effort against Donald Trump. In our politically divided country, our intelligence has become political. The top intelligence officers have become political actors, and that is dangerous. That is uncalled for. That is exactly what we cannot have, and that's what Comey claims that he's not. He's got to go, and frankly, these intelligence officers who serve at the— you know, for a longer term than um, than congressmen and congresswomen do before a re-election. They don't get re-elected. They're appointed. They have this position. Frankly, President Trump should fire them all, and he should hire people who will be loyal to him and give him the information when he requests it. Now, this information is very confusing. Uh, There is a list, and again, there's a roadmap that we have put out on nilacrucer.com discussing how the unmasking and leaking of American names occurred in the first place. We discussed the situation with Lieutenant General Michael Flynn, which I will bring up in a moment because it is relevant today. And all of the things that President Obama did in the 11th hour of his presidency in a concerted effort to surveil President Trump. We know that that is factual now. And so on Sunday, in our Real Deal segment, which is the last segment of the program, we will connect all the dots for you of how the Obama administration surveilled President Trump. It's very dangerous. It's very upsetting. They want blood. They want President Trump to be impeached, and they will stop at nothing. They think he is so vile that they have to stop at nothing to attack him, whether it be on process or substance. Of course, all the substance leads to the fact that Trump is right, and then his tweet is correct. Um, Adam Schiff, the um, ranking Democrat on the House Intelligence Committee, viewed the, um, the intelligence that the White House— that allegedly, two White House officials, although that really seems to be like it was fake news, um, they, uh, you know, the White House, when um, Devin Nunez, the House Intelligence Chairman, went to the White House, which really he went to the uh, intelligence side of things, a skiff, where he was viewing uh, highly classified materials that can't leave that building, and it had nothing to do with the Trump administration at all, it just had to do with The fact that he had to view these documents, well, we're learning that um, Adam Schiff, the ranking Democrat who criticized Devin Nunez, called for him to step down to recuse himself from the investigation. He has been now presented the same information at the White House, and the White House is saying we want all the congressional investigators who are overseeing the Russia probe to see all the information that President Trump knows about, and that's why he tweeted about it, because We know that the president has the highest top-secret clearance. If he says that he was wiretapped or really surveilled, then you have to take him at his word because he knows information that no one else does know. So now the Democrat-ranking member, Adam Schiff, Democrat from California, saw the same materials as Devin Nunes, the House Intelligence Chairman, saw last week before he briefed the press and then— inform President Trump of you know information he already knew. I don't know why they made a big deal about it. Like I said on yesterday's podcast, if you have uh something that you should be checking with your boss on, you do that. The President already had this information, and for him to brief President Trump is really no big deal because he had the information already. And it's no problem for the White House to say, hey, listen, we have all this documentation we want to present to you. If the, if the substance and the documentation was not altered in any way, then the White House saying, let's get this out in the open and let's show Congress, the House Intelligence Committee, that's their job to view. There's nothing wrong here at all. There's nothing wrong, but they make a big deal over the process. Oh, this smells, you know, it's uh, Spicer's use some Russian dressing. I mean, give me a break, okay? If the substance shows that President Trump is right, that he was surveilled, People should be going to jail, and that's where we're going to come down to. I mean, you have Evelyn Farkas, who was a deputy assistant secretary of defense, and left in 2015 from the Obama administration. Said that she was urging Congress and the uh, intelligence officers to surveil Trump to get gather intelligence was the word she used. Well, she left in 2015. And President Trump has just started running in June of 2015. How could she be talking about urging Congress when she wasn't even in Washington, had zero security clearance at this time? So she should be questioned and possibly prosecuted. Who is she? First of all, she's a deputy assistant secretary, not even the secretary. How could she be advising and urging people to be looking at the intelligence if she's not even in government at this point? So there's a lot of this Obama shadow government stuff that is going on. Um, The Obama officials, we learned today from NBC News, Obama administration officials were so concerned about what would happen to key classified documents, Now remember, Days before Obama left office, he left a trail of intelligence so that it would be leaked to the media, and he made sure that the NSA had the power to share intelligence. Now we find out that the Obama administration officials were so concerned about what would happen to these key classified documents that Trump would possibly stifle this investigation that they created a document of serial numbers to give senior members of the Senate Intelligence Committee. The U.S. officials said to NBC News, of course, uh, anonymously, that the list of documents related to the probe and to Russian interference into the U.S. election was created in early January, again, days before President Trump took office. He hand-carried it to the committee members. The numbers themselves were not classified, the serial numbers. So the purpose, the official said, was to make it harder to bury the information to share it with those on the hill who could lawfully see the documents. So let me ask you something. If the Obama administration, days before they leave office, could hand over information to the House Intelligence or excuse me, the Senate Intelligence Committee in regards to this Russian probe, what is wrong with the Trump administration when it wasn't President Trump himself, it was It was people within his administration that handed over classified documents to the House Intelligence Committee because it is their job to oversee our intelligence. It's the same thing. Where is the outrage today that Obama officials, oh my god, they were sending stuff to the Senate Intelligence Committee? That's fine. If these documents were not tampered with, that is fine. But what is the double standard here that we're talking about? It's outrageous. Both administrations did the same thing. One is base, is saying, how could we—they're ruining the credibility in this investigation. Not true at all. And, and Russia is nothing new. They've been hacking into elections since the 70s, and not just the United States. So where's our cybersecurity team? And that's that's something I want President Trump to make sure that he beats up cybersecurity. He's made that a campaign promise. Um, now, Sean Spicer— At the uh, press briefing today was questioned about this timeline. Now, the the person questioning him is Glenn Thrush of the New York Times. Glenn Thrush famously called himself a political hack when he was trying to collude with the Clinton campaign that was released in WikiLeaks, and he never denied it. Uh, And he was working for uh, writers at the time, Uh, but now he's with the New York Times. This is uh, Sean Spicer in an exchange with Glenn Thrush about the Devin Nunez and intelligence gathering process questioning.
3: So Sean, in terms of the, the Nunez uh, chronology, uh, just to clarify, when we're asking questions about process like Gates and people, we're not attempting to ascertain the geography of the executive complex. We want to know who knew what when. I understand so that. So my question is, so I will ask that directly. Forget about the technical questions. Mr. Nunez was on the campus. You say, we don't know who let him in the gate. So right. apparently it is, It is, and you described, I believe, this is a normal process, right? Tell me if it is normal the way that I am describing it. Mr. Nunez, the head of an investigatory committee, is allowed to roam around the executive complex, we don't know who let him in, to speak to two deputy-level members of the National Security Council. He is then allowed to see information. He then obtains an appointment, from from my understanding of the chronology, with the President of the United States to disgorge that information. He then goes public with that information. Then, seven or so days later, you say it would be appropriate for everybody to come down here and look at it. Is that a normal process?
4: Well, A, I would take issue with a number of the aspects of your chronology. Number one, which you're forgetting, is that initially he is the one that publicly said well before any of this came to light in terms of the President's (coughs) March 5th tweet uh, that he was just looking into this whole matter. He, according to John Roberts, his own uh, reporting, just said that neither of those individuals, as described in your paper's reporting, are accurate. Um, So I would dispute several of the pieces of that. And then as far as him roaming around the White House,
3: Man, so no I understand
4: this but but you again you jump to a ton of conclusions about and and again I I love watching some of these shows where they jump to conclusions for all you've hold on. on several times prejudged the investigation is clearing uh, the White House
3: you've said it twice at the podium today right so we're what not I'm saying because I'm
4: focused on the substance of this Glenn I'm well, actually I Right, and so where has any of the reporting been in, in your paper about Evelyn Fawkes and her revelation that this is what they sought to do? Where has been the reporting in your paper that NBC News just recently covered that other officials, you seem to be really focused, on who showed up where and what door they went in and how it happened. Answer to answer your question, yes, it's appropriate for a member of Congress to contact someone who has contacted him according to some of these reports. I don't know the answer to that, but if you're asking me, is it appropriate for a member of Congress to come over here? As Chairman Nunez has said himself, he wasn't hiding or roaming. He was asked to come over here by an individual. He came over, which happens daily. He was asked to go somewhere. He went there. He has cleared. And uh, nothing that is inappropriate. Other, and other, in, in exactly the opposite. What he did, what he saw, and who he met with was one hundred percent proper. Did chief of
3: staff, have, did the chief of staff, who is, in my understanding, a, an exceptionally uh, attentive gatekeeper to who comes in and out of the, the Oval the Office, uh, did the chief of staff uh, know that he was on the campus? Did he approve his? No, no, so remember, you're, you're
4: okay, but but you're playing cute there. You're doing two things. One is you're talking about the Oval Office, and the other one is the campus. Right? So, no, the Chief of Staff does not know every single person who's on the 18 acres at any given time. They are people who are appropriately either cleared or waved through the system or are escorted on in some way, shape, or form. No, we don't track every single person who's on the 18 acres. Do we know, generally speaking, who's in the Oval Office? Not all the time, because people can go in. But if there was a meeting in that case, we all sat back here. He made the announcement, and again, you're leaving out a key part. He actually briefed the press before he told anyone, we all found out, you, me, everyone else, that he was coming down here after he held a press conference with your colleagues to say he was coming down here based on stuff that he'd found that didn't have to do with Russia, that a whistleblower source had given him. Now, the other reporting that I'm hearing today is actually that the sources that you describe in your paper are not accurate. And while I'm not going to comment on either, I think there is an assumption that everything and the chronology that we know is accurate, which I don't believe from further reporting that it is. And I also believe that some of the comments that have come out publicly in terms of some of the Obama administration are conveniently left out of that discussion. I think that that is interesting how no one seems to really cover the fact that in a senior Obama administration with high level clearances talked about the spreading of classified information for political purposes and no one seems to care. But just
3: to be clear, Mr. Priebus. Mr. Kushner, Mr. Bannon did not have knowledge of his uh, of his being on the campus, having this interaction with Mr. I don't. I stuff. don't
4: know. Again, you're at. You asked two questions and you melded them together. No one knew that he was coming to speak to the president. He announced that on television during a press
2: conference. <laughs> a lot of whining. I, I don't know. Glenn Thrush, uh, by the way, worked for Politico when he called himself a hack in trying to get Hillary Clinton uh, for an interview. Here's the deal. Okay, um, they're so caught up. I mean, we talked about Evelyn Farkas, talk about that again today before this clip. They're so focused on who's walking in the building. And then later on, somebody asked Sean Spicer about, well, you said that you don't keep track of everyone that's on the White House grounds, so you don't, you don't know who's on here. Obviously, that's not what you're getting into semantics. Yes, the Secret Service knows everybody that's on the White House grounds. Does Ryan's previous know? Not necessarily, but he knows who's speaking with the president, right? Devin Nunez, when he saw this information in the White House, which, by the way, I find out today in some research that that is very normal for anyone to do. To go to the White House to view classified information is very common for them to do. So, if that's a common thing, the president doesn't know about it. He then briefs the media. The president sees on TV, probably, that Devin Nunez is heading over to the White House to tell President Trump. It's very—I don't know. I think it's been very transparent. And President Trump wants all this information out in the open because if it isn't out in the open, he's going to be called for uh, to question about hiding— intelligence. So that's why he said, yes, I know I can ask my intelligence officials to give me this data, but you know what? Let's keep them accountable. Let's put the House and the Senate intelligence committees to work and have them see if the intelligence lines up that Trump has surveilled. Trump knows the answer already. He knows the outcome, which is yes, because it's pretty well defined and connected. And that's just what I know. That's just what we know. So the president knows that he was surveilled. He's calling this to be an open congressional investigation so the American people can see that this is transparent. Pretty plain and simple. Um, And, you know, the Democrats and politicians, they're not going to give up on this Russia story. They're not going to let it get away. And they're more—I mean, they're more concerned about the politics. I'm more concerned—you know, they're—or I should say the process— I'm more concerned about how politics has gone in the way of intelligence. I'm concerned that politics has gone in the way of finding the facts. And the facts speak for themselves here, as they always do. The fact that you have clear motivation, political motivation for surveillance, has to be alarming. That means that if you don't like someone politically, because you don't like President Trump, they're going to do everything, and they're going to go above and beyond their roles. There should be people convicted for this, and they're letting politics play out in intelligence, and that is very dangerous with their adversaries. You know, Russia, meanwhile, I mean, they're a problem. We know that they've been a problem, so— you know where is NATO? Where is the UN in sanctioning them? And China, by the way, is a problem too. Don't forget about China. China is very sneaky, and they're up and coming in terms of their actions in, uh, in hurting us in cybersecurity, in the cybersecurity realm. Um, you have uh, today Rex Tillerson and James Mattis. Both um, reaffirming their commitment to NATO and criticizing Russia for aggression and meddling in other countries' affairs. So this obviously eased some uh, concerns about President Trump's commitment to NATO. Um, The thing that you have to know, though, about NATO is that um, we spend more on on the NATO commitment than any other country in terms of uh, percentage of GDP. Uh, So, yeah, they don't pay their fair share. We know that, and so we need to figure out what we're going uh, to—you know, they have to pay up so that we're not paying for other countries, and at the same time, we do have to commit to them, and and we do have to keep Russia accountable, and so Tillerson said that the sanctions on Russia will remain, and then there was a stupid story today about Tillerson, which— it's so ridiculous. The Washington Post put out a story um, today or yesterday, excuse me, that portrayed Tillerson as a you know reclusive figure who is quote isolated, walled off from state Department's core bureaucrats in Washington and around the world. Uh, the Washington Post story suggests uh, that Tillerson or says that Tillerson has instructed his staff to warn career diplomats not to speak to him or make eye contact with him. Now this is fake news folks. Uh, even an AP reporter came out and said, "Washington Post, it's wrong." You are fake news. Most Tillerson's interactions is what the report says in the Washington Post. It says, "quote Most Tillerson's interactions are with an insular circle of pol- political aides who are new to the State Department. Many career diplomats say they are still they still have not met with him, and some have been instructed not to speak to him directly or even make eye contact." Now, Associated Press uh, chief diplomatic writer Matt Lee to Twitter to dispute this report. He said that it's not true, and people repeating it are making it more difficult to address very real issues. I was told of this allegation weeks ago and checked it out and characterized it as compelling gossip. And this is what the Washington Post and the New York Times have become. Compelling gossip. And the Associated Press chief uh, diplomatic writer confirms that. It's become a gossip paper. And they love to make these baseless allegations, it's slander, it's salacious, it's intriguing. But at the end of the day, it does not add up. And let's talk about real issues. What's Tillerson, as Secretary of State, what is going to be his biggest problem? Is it going to be Russia? Is it going to be China? Is it going to be North Korea? Is it going to be Iran? Tillerson said today that um, Iran is the... Um, As the largest state sponsor of terrorism, I I forgot the quote that he said, but he said something about that they're a conduit of terrorism, that they promote terrorism and they send terrorists here. This is Secretary of State here that has to deal with all of these issues, has to be diplomatic, and at the same time has to be tough on our adversaries and people that are sending, you know, immigrants and refugees here that we can't handle. And then that ties into sanctuary cities, It's very intertwined, and you have to understand that these politicians and to some extent the liberal media are going to try to stop Trump in an effort to have globalistic policies that are harming our nation. And this is where common sense comes into play, folks. It just does. Um, You know what else is common sense? When you leave the Secretary of State position or you leave a White House position, all of your security clearance goes away, right? I mean, you know, if you leave a job, like in Manhattan, for example, all these buildings are secured, you have ID cards. Well, when you leave the building, usually even before you leave the building, they have a system that will shut off your ID card and you can never get into the building again. Now, why is it then we learn today that Hillary Clinton... And she left the State Department in, what, 2013, she still, her and her staff, had continued access to top-secret and classified materials for years after. Hillary and at least six associates were designated, quote, research assistants, all of whom had top security clearance even after Hillary announced her second White House bid back in April 2015. So now she's a candidate for president. She is no longer the Secretary of State, and according to this report that Fox News put out citing Senator Chuck Grassley, the Republican from Iowa, Hillary Clinton had access that she was able to maintain top-secret access even when she used a private email server in her house, even when she committed crimes that she had classified information that she sent or received. And she is now a candidate for president and had top-secret classified information. And Senator Chuck Grassley said the access was offered to help the former Secretary of State work on her future memoir. But added, he was only made aware of the situation after the Trump administration took over. So now the Trump administration takes over in January. Hillary lost. And we just find out that because she was writing a freaking book, that she had top-secret classified information while she was writing a book after she left the State Department. Uh, can we lock people up? I mean, seriously, at this point, people have to go to jail for this stuff. I have repeatedly asked the State Department whether Secretary Clinton and her associates had their clearances suspended or revoked, to which the Obama administration refused to respond, according to Senator Grassley. They refused to respond. They're corrupt, they're crooked, and they're flat out trying to undermine Trump, and they're just finding this information out, and they're engaging in a shadow government. I've said it. Unbelievable that our security and our intelligence is taken so willy-nilly, putting, you know, our lives at a risk. Um, We'll take a break. When we come back, Trump trade deals two executive orders today Plus, wages are up in California. Well, what's the credit for that? Is it Trump or, you know, this story that I have in front of me? They're actually saying that Trump is a problem because farmers are not, are actually suffering and they can't hire people. Well, we'll talk about the the reality in terms of that. And Trump is criticizing the Freedom Caucus. I don't agree with him there. I'll give you my analysis when we come back from the Neil A. Cruz Show podcast on this Friday.
1: Learn how you can do your part at smokybear.com. Sponsored by the U.S. Forest Service Ad Council and your state forester. When it comes to saving money, don't act like a baby. Goo goo gaga. Ga. Be the boss and make a budget. I'm the boss, baby. You're the boss of me. I am the boss of you. I'm not. M2. Are not. M2. Need a little help? Aren't you going to do any work? I'm very busy delegating. Create a personalized savings plan. We could share. You obviously didn't go to business school. And get other tools and tips at feedthepig.org. Brought to you by the American Institute of CPAs and the Ad Council.
0: We're going to be greater than ever
1: before. You watch. You watch. Yes, you watch. Watch the Neil, Neil A. Crusoe Crusoe. Show Sundays at noon Eastern and listen to the Neil A. Show, Show. Podcast on com.
0: I'm not beholden to any political or financial interest. I don't care. I'm here to do a job. I'm doing a job for the American worker. I really don't care. I'm not thinking about my business or anybody's business. Wilbur isn't. Peter isn't. None of the folks that we have up here are. We're doing a job. It's an opportunity like nobody's ever given. And we're here to do a great job for the American worker and for our companies where the American workers are employed. I work for the American people. Whether you're a Democrat, a Republican, or belong to no party at all, you are an American. And I'm here to represent you and your family. We're going to get this thing straightened out. We're going to get these bad trade deals straightened out. Right, Peter? It's time. You've been looking at it for years. Right, Wilbur? This combination over here can't be beaten. That's why I defied the special interests and followed through on my pledge to withdraw immediately from the Trans-Pacific Partnership. And that's why I am taking these very historic steps today. The well-being of America and the American worker is my North Star. And these two orders will point out our nation and point to everybody, point to the world. Next week, as you know, in Florida, at the Southern White House, we're having the President of China and a large group from China, his representatives. And we're going to get down to some very serious business, So we look forward to it. Uh, I've spoken to him numerous times on the phone. We look very much forward to it. But it's been very bad what's been happening to our country, in terms of our companies and in terms of our jobs. So we're going to start turning it around. We're going to turn it around fast. It's not going to take a long time. It's going to go fast. So I just want to end by saying that We have a team that's second to none, and when everybody is assembled and fully in gear after these two orders, I think it's going to be something very special.
2: President Trump at the White House today uh, signing a couple of executive orders, and uh, there he is uh, in uh, addressing what those executive orders are, Uh, joins uh, next to U.S. Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross. And... um, You know, the president—so we'll talk about trade. He's going to meet with the Chinese president, uh, Xi Jinping, uh, next week at uh, Mar-a-Lago, the Southern White House. It's going to be a negotiation, and he's been very critical of China, which is warranted given the—in terms of trade, the valuation of currency, in terms of how they are just—have ripped off the United States. um, And, you know, I see a report today— about the opioid um, epidemic. And China is actually the largest um, conduit. Uh, Well, you know, they send from China more opioids than any other country. And, you know, we talk about Mexico. We talk about El Salvador. We talk about um, Latin America and and South America in terms of um, the drug flow across the border. But China is sending it through... USPS, they're saying it through our mail, um, and it's very dangerous, and it's going to be something that's going to be discussed, along with trade, along with um, national security and cybersecurity, so President Trump is going to host him at Mar-a-Lago next week, and that's all going to be a negotiation. It's the art of the deal. It certainly is, the art of the deal. Um, now, I hope he criticized, because if he goes on the golf course, you know, the art of the deal says, and I had the book, and I refer to it. And the art of the deal says that you learn more about anyone on a golf course than you'll ever get to know in a business meeting. Probably true because they let down the guard, right? So the president said today that jobs and wealth, uh, they've been stripped from our country year after year, decade after decade. Trade deficit upon trade deficit reaching more than $700 billion last year alone and lots of jobs. So the first executive order that he signed today concentrates on t- uh, tougher enforcement of anti-dumping laws and increasing the collection of anti-dumping penalties and so-called countervailing duties, which is a mechanism used against foreign governments that subsidize their producers and sell goods at below market prices. It's all about fairness in trade that affects us, the American people. Between 2001 and 2016, about $2.8 billion in import taxes went uncollected from companies in 40 countries. Well, that's not good. You know, we should be getting revenue on that. And then we can cut taxes and, you know, repatriate money that's overseas. The second executive order that President Trump signed today, um, which is uh, calls for the Commerce Department and U.S. Trade Representative to produce a comprehensive report to identify every possible cause of the U.S. trade deficit. So this is fascinating because, you know, we are at a almost $20 trillion in debt. You know, Barack Obama added more debt than any other president combined, all 43 before him combined, and so we're stuck at about $20 trillion in debt. Well, you know, we'd love to lower taxes to a 15% corporate tax. We'd love to simplify the tax code, reduce the personal taxes, and, you know, healthcare would have a lot to do with that as well, which would make tax reform easier, by the way. Healthcare in a second. Um, So, this is interesting because this executive order says, hey, listen, let's find out every nitty-gritty area, um, whether it be on imports, whether it be on trade, that we can find out what the trade deficit is and reduce our um, our deficit as a whole in our country. You know, Mexico, we send so much um, aid to Mexico, if you just cut that and say, all right, this is what we're going to use, we're going to build the wall, and we're just going to take off you know, however money you need, whatever, whatever it is, a couple billion dollars is what we're going to do. We'll just cut you off. That's it. We're not going to provide any aid this year, or we're going to say, listen, we're, we're going to cut our debts to you, you know, um, and that'll pay for the wall. So, I mean, it's just we have tons of debt as a country, and debt is not always bad, but, you know, $20 trillion in debt, let's identify every piece of that, So that we can focus on national security and the economy and real things that matter, Um, there was a uh, Los Angeles Times put out a story um, earlier this month saying, uh, "This is the title of the report: Wages Rise on California Farms. Americans still uh, still don't want the job." First of all, just on the title, okay? Wages rising on California farms. Great, is that what we want? Second, on the second part, Americans still don't want the job. They always say this, you know, uh, illegal immigrants have the jobs that Americans don't want. That's not true. There are, you know, we have the lowest labor participation rates since the 70s. I think there are a lot of people that would like to have a job. You know, people on food stamps. And if they don't, then they're using the system. Otherwise, they'll take a job. Then, the story in the Los Angeles Times goes on to say, Trump's immigration crackdown is supposed to help U.S. citizens for California farmers is worsening a desperate labor shortage. Um let me just ask you isn't wages a wage increase what we want? So the whole basis for them to say that the Trump immigration crackdown and which is a national security necessity when you have gang members, drug dealers, rapists, you know, convicted felons who have been deported more than once and have come back into our country, so it's a national security issue. But don't we want Americans to get the jobs and then wages rising, and that's hurting farmers? Wait a minute. Since when do liberals care about uh, business owners? Since when do liberals care, or since when do liberals don't want wages to go up? You know, they talk about this minimum wage all the time. Well, wages are increasing. For Americans, that's great for the American worker. But they don't want wages to increase because they just want... It's not even about that. They just want to find any way that they can to criticize Trump. Okay? That because his immigration crackdown is so inhumane, it's supposed to help U.S. citizens, but it's it's now hurting a labor shortage. But wages are rising. That's a positive. They can take anything, any positive story, and make it into a negative. Unbelievable. Um, all right. So Trump tweets out today, a number of tweets this morning, about the Freedom Caucus, he's been criticizing them. I know the Freedom Caucus let him down uh, in terms of votes for that health care bill, which, you know, I'm kind of glad at this point that it did not pass. I blame Paul Ryan, the Speaker of the House, for not building consensus among his own party. But, you know, President Trump's wrong here, and I'll tell you why. He's criticizing the Freedom Caucus, which is the most conservative group of the Republican Party, and he needs them. And he criticizes Democrats in the same tweet, by the way, which is fine. I don't really care about that. Um, but he goes, let's see. Um, where are Representative Mark Meadows and Jim Jordan and Raoul Uh, uh They're all um, from the Freedom Caucus. Hashtag repeal and replace. Hashtag Obamacare. He says if Meadows, Jordan, and LeBronter, uh all part of the Freedom Caucus, would get on board, we would have both great health care, massive tax cuts, and reform. So he's criticizing them, but he needs them. And frankly, a lot of what they're saying in terms of a uh, consensus plan, that should have been done by Paul Ryan. And I'm not saying Trump has to blame anyone here. I think Trump should just advise Paul Ryan to build consensus in his own party. It has nothing to do with the president because the president doesn't write laws. But build consensus among your party, lower taxes, lower the premiums, which, you know, this bill, I get it, in a couple of years with reducing the, uh, or cutting out the Medicaid expansion would reduce a little bit over time, but it wasn't conservative enough. You need these conservative members. Let's not, they're, I mean, listen, if you're worried about finding them in 2018, they have no competition in their districts as it is. So don't worry about that. Worry about getting the, the agenda done, and that's got to be on Paul Ryan in the House. That's got to be on him building consensus in his own party. It's nothing to do with the president. So I just – I don't think the criticism is warranted here, and it seems like it backfired a little bit, but you know, the conversation has been off health care um, with this whole Russia narrative crap that's going on. And by the way, one last note on that because I said I talked about Flynn. Um, Lieutenant General Michael Flynn, the former uh, national security advisor who – uh, stepped down after he lied to Vice President Mike Pence about his conversations with the Russian ambassador, which was legal, which was fine, and his name was unmasked in the intel reports. Uh, he's asking for immunity today. Now, Trump tweeted this morning that um, Mike Flynn should ask for immunity, and this is a witch hunt um, by the media and the Democrats of historic— um, after, you know, winning the election, after or excuse me, after Democrats losing the election— um, of historic proportion, which is all true. It is a witch hunt, and he knows very well that they're trying to get President Trump. They're trying to get him, and they're trying to impeach him. So if they can make Michael Flynn the fall guy for now, get him to reveal information, they will do that. Then they will pin it on Trump and get him in for a hearing. This is what they're trying to do. They're diabolical. Okay, now, Michael Flynn, and unfortunately he made comments that, and so the president, by the way, in September— um, I'm not going to deny that. That's what they said was in the Hillary Clinton investigation um, that, uh, you know, people getting immunity, like the person who constructed the email server. And, you know, what I found out about this, the person who built the email server was granted immunity by the FBI. Well, that signaled to me, oh, I think Hillary Clinton's going to get indicted. And we know that she committed crimes uh, just by using the private email server, by having classified information on it, and apparently still having access as a presidential candidate. All red flags, and I urge the Department of Justice to continue this investigation, and the Clinton Foundation, which hurt people. Okay? But, they made comments that if you were granted immunity, it shows guilt. It's political rhetoric, it's stuff you say in a campaign, um, in reality, from listening to a lot of attorneys today, you know, it's something that you have to ask for, it doesn't mean that it's going to be granted, but as you know Flynn's case here he's got to be careful now if he if he is granted what's called use immunity that would mean that he can be a little bit more open about what was going on in terms of his conversations with Russia and not worry about mincing words a use immunity is on words because if he says something that you know you got to you don't want to be indicted based on just uh rhetoric or of contradicting yourself uh, when this is a complicated subject, so I think that's what the you know he's trying to, to he's seeking immunity, which is fine. That's what NBC reported today. We don't even know if that's true, but Flynn kind of this is, I don't agree with this being public. Immunity is supposed to be kind of discussed privately. Um, but it's about protecting his words. Doesn't mean that he can't be indicted. This is not a. Um, And uh, uh, this wouldn't be a full immunity if he um, uh, says—if there's reason to believe that there was action taken that can be gathered, not just by what he said, but by documents, then they can move to indict him. Uh, The intelligence can move to indict Flynn if uh, he is granted use immunity. He can still be, um, be prosecuted if they had documentation for it. So it's something that Flynn has to, frankly, seek. Um, All right, so that wraps up the podcast for today. Let me just tell you about Sunday's program. We have a big league show planned. So we are going to talk in Caruso's comments. I already know this, so I might as well just tell you what we're talking about. Sanctuary City is number one on the agenda on Sunday. Uh, We have uh, Michael Cutler, retired Immigration and Naturalization Service agent, on the program about 12.15 to—he'll be out live— to talk about sanctuary cities, talk about uh, what the Attorney General has ordered, and um, and move forth with uh, enforcing immigration laws, how it hurts people. We're going to go over all of the recent cases and high-profile cases in which illegal immigrants harmed American citizens and why sanctuary cities need to end, plus what the Democrats are saying in response to that. Um, we will also, we have an interview with, uh, Ryan Fournier. He is, you probably know him because you've probably seen him on, uh, cable news. He was all over the place with Students for Trump, an organization, um, that became affiliated with the campaign, gained a lot of traction. He's just a sophomore in college, and, uh, Ryan, I talked to him on the phone today, he built, uh, Students for Trump and Generation Onward is in development, uh, which is, um, a not-profit organization, uh, really uh, pushing for Trump's agenda and getting engagement of young people of all political parties, all political ideologies, uh, to come together and increase dialogue um, among people that are—among uh, millennials, really. So Ryan Fournier will join me in the Making a Difference segment. He'll on live. Um, and then in the Real Deal segment, we are going to tackle the Obama administration surveillance of President Trump and the documentation of what we know. We're going to put it all out on the screen for you and lay out the case of how this happened and the timeline of this shadow government. So, that's on Sunday. So you can tune in to the Neil A. Caruso Show Sunday at 12 noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. And we'll have uh, we'll have a really jam-packed program. Plus, you know, you can Skype me at Neil A. Caruso. You can add me on Skype today if you want. Um, and then you can call in with a question, comment, concern of any topic, whether it be um, anything from sanctuary cities or you want to talk about something else, jobs, or you want to debate with me. Let's do it. We respect opinions. We give opinions and we respect opinions. That's uh, that's our motto for that. So Sunday we'll see you in the afternoon on neilacruzel.com for The Neil A. Kurtz Show. And then back here on the podcast on Monday, Neil Gorsuch, uh, will be in the news next week in terms of uh, the Senate uh, will be voting on him. So that's next week. We'll see you Sunday, folks. God bless you, and God bless America.
1: The Neil A. Caruso Show podcast is a production of Caruso Enterprises, engaging, informing, and entertaining, passion-driven, factual content that makes a difference following Neil A. Caruso on social media. And log on to Crusoe.com to sign up for Caruso's comments, newsletters, and be the first to know.